If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18? I'm going to share with you a story this morning. The story covers 23 years out of the Old Testament. And what's interesting about the story is I have read this story for many, many years. From time to time, I'm sure I have preached on this, parts of this story. But as I was reading this story the other day, I, um, the Holy Spirit just impressed some things upon me that I want to share with you. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want to give you a background here. King Saul is king over Israel, but King Saul has been disobedient. And so God has removed King Saul from being king over Israel. Now when I say he's removed him, he has not physically taken him from the throne. But God has withdrawn his blessing upon him. And the prophet Samuel in those days, uh, the prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse and anointed a little shepherd boy as king. Now that little shepherd boy didn't go on up and take the throne. That is not what happened. Uh, he knew he waited upon the Lord. You know, there's a Bible verse of scripture that says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So anyway, when we come to 1 Samuel 18, this little bitty shepherd boy had gone to visit his brothers who were in the army to take them food and bread and cheese and wine and take some to the captain. Because in those days, when you belonged to the army, you didn't get, they didn't feed you and pay you like they do nowadays. You had to get food from your home. Uh, that's where you got your food from. And while he's there, he hears about this uh, great big giant. And so the, David kills Goliath. And David is kind of famous, okay? And Saul, seeing that David killed Goliath, goes, Wow, look at this guy, this kid. And he's enarmored with him. And he says, Who is he? Who are you? And he said, Well, I'm David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And in 1 Samuel 18, this is the first time that David runs into one of Saul's sons called Jonathan. Okay, so 1 Samuel 18. Now when David had finished speaking to Saul, telling him who he was, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. In other words, Jonathan took one look at David and he just, just wrapped his life up in him. You know, every now and then in your life, you will meet somebody that you just automatically just there's something there. It might be a you might be a man, but you meet another man. There's no homosexuality or anything evil involved in it. It's just that all of a sudden, wow, and you two just are friends. There's just something there. Many years ago, I had um, two ministers that we were just like that. And uh, 
we could not see each other for a month and one night I'd pick up the phone and it'd be like it was just yesterday. And so Jonathan saw David and he just, that was it. He just, him and David had a special uh, anointing together. And Saul took David that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that David was a prisoner. It just means that David no longer continually resided in his home. In other words, King Saul gave David a new home and that was the castle. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, his bow, and his belt. And I don't think we understand the, the um, significance of this. But in those days, when you wore what you wore, your robe, carried with it not only its color, but oftentimes carried around the edge of it colors that said who you were. And in Jonathan's case, his robe represented his authority as the son of Saul, his succession to the throne should Saul die. And then, so what he was doing, literally, he was taking off his robe and putting it on David saying, hey, everything I've got is yours. You've got my authority. And then he took off his belt and his armor, and his armor had the crest of the king and his family. And he's giving this to David, and the significance of it is he's not only gave him his sword and his bow, he said, listen, I trust you so much, I'm defenseless against you. But he was giving David, David, everything I have is yours. My authority is your authority. And that's what he was doing. And, and I want you to get the picture. And he and David made a covenant. They made a covenant. Now, I want you to skip forward seven years to 1 Samuel 31. So now... We see David and Jonathan have met. And now we're going to fast forward seven years to 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is probably one of the one of the more sadder chapters in the Bible because a nation has fallen, a family is destroyed, and a king has died. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now the Philistines, verse 1, fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain in Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul. And the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and torture me. But his armor would not, for he was greatly afraid. And therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. And so Saul and his three sons 
Abinadab, Malkishua, and Jonathan uh, all died together that same day. Wow. Now, I want to give you a side note to that. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And I'm going to read verse 4. Most people probably have never read this little scripture in here. 2 Samuel 4, 4. This is a side note to 1 Samuel 31. Jonathan's son, or Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that she fell and he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Just a side note. Okay. Now we're going to skip forward another 16 years to 2 Samuel chapter 9 if you would. So you see the progression here. Saul, a king disobedient. His enemy just comes in. And, and let me just say this. Whenever we sin against God, uh, I, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone. I don't preach condemnation. That's not of God. Um, but sin is out there. You need to understand that. And when we sin, we open the door for the devil to come in and take advantage of us in our lives. We really do. That's one of the things more than anything that keeps me from, from wanting to sin. When I want to get upset with people. And how many of you know that there are people in the world that are a challenge in human relations? In other words, they can challenge you. I mean, they can make you grit your teeth. And sometimes you might even say, God, why did you create them? But they're there. And so understand that sin not only affects you, but it affects those around you. Now, we're skipping forward 16 years to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Saul is dead. David ascends to the throne. David defeats all of his enemies. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that um, in verse 15 of chapter 8 that David reigned over all Israel. He administered judgment and justice to all his people. And that the Lord preserved David wherever he went. All the Philistines have been silenced. There's peace in the land because David is king and he's following God. And he has brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And so there's peace. And so we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now David said, is there anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now let me stop right there and say this. Understand that in the olden days that when a king was disposed 
what traditionally happened is the new king would go in and by right would kill every heir of that king. I don't care if you were the third cousin three times removed from the second uncle on the third side. If you were any relation at all to that king, you were killed. Because the new king did not want someone coming up from the old line trying to take his place. Please understand that, okay? And so David asks, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, remember this. Now, David didn't go and kill the people in Saul's family, not like the prior kings would do or the kings that followed. And show him kindness. In other words, I've got a covenant with Jonathan. Is there anybody in Saul's house that I can show him covenant faithfulness to? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they called him to David, the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Remember how he got that way. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to him, Indeed, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil, in Lodibar. Now, Lodibar is the Hebrew word for no pasture. That's what it means in Hebrew. So does that tell you where this descendant of Saul, the son of Jonathan, was living? He was living probably on the backside of the desert in a place called Lodibar. In other words, in Hebrew, where do you live? Yeah, down there where there's no pasture. That's where he lived. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makar from Lodibar. Now, well, let me go on. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. Now, stop and think for a minute what this was like. Here is a descendant of Saul who knew that rightfully according to the law, David, who is the new king, could kill him. As a matter of fact, in all the surrounding countries of the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Ishmaelites and all of those, when a new king took over, he slaughtered the old family. And all of a sudden, here you are living in a place called Lodibar, no pasture, and all of a sudden, here come the soldiers, and all of a sudden they're knocking on the door. Mephibosheth, we want to see you. Can you imagine what went through his mind? No wonder when he got to David and was brought into the castle, he fell fat on his face. Boom. Let's go on. David said, Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now, 
The, the word continually in the Hebrew is tamid. And it's a Hebrew word and it means continually, evermore, permanently, forever, perpetually. So what David is saying to this is look, I'm going to give you all the lands back of your grandfather. And not only that, but from now on, you're going to eat at my table. Long as you're alive. Verse 8. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his help. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? I mean, wow. And I got to thinking about that scene. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the lameness was of Mephibosheth. But it said he was lame in his feet. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I wonder if Mephibosheth didn't come to the king's table to eat just a little bit earlier than everybody else. See, he was lame in his feet. And I don't know whether he had to drag him or if he had to have a cane or had to have somebody to help him. I don't know that. But I imagine that he was pretty self-conscious about that. But when he sat at the king's table and that tablecloth, that royal tablecloth fell across his legs, nobody could see his infirmity. Nobody. And I'll bet you maybe he came a little early and maybe then they would start coming in and Maybe Solomon would come in, you know, and he'd kind of stretch and rub his eyes. You know, he's been in the study, reading, studying up on all that wisdom. And maybe David's daughter, Tamar, coming in, that beautiful young lady who all the men just uh, gaga over. And then Absalom, you know, with his beautiful hair, you know, he comes in and, and sits at the table. But there's Mephibosheth, and they can't tell that he's lame. And they don't see his imperfections. And you know, the more I thought about that, the more I thought, I wonder how many Christians are like Mephibosheth. Yeah, we're at the king's table, we're born again. We might be spirit-filled and we, we, even at home, we pray and sing and, and the Lord comes down and, and we come to church. But we're lame somewhere. Maybe it is a physical lameness. Maybe though it's spiritual. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, maybe it's, it's 
Maybe we didn't even bring it on ourselves. Maybe it was caused like Mephibosheth by somebody else, somebody close to us that, that we trusted. Maybe it's something we did before we ever came to know the Lord. Let me tell you something, church. The devil will try to haunt you with things you did before you came to God and tell you it's not under the blood. And so you know what? Like Mephibosheth, we sit at the table. And yes, it's nice to come to church and sing songs and and raise our hands, but we don't want to get up. And we don't want to really participate in the body of Christ because we're afraid somebody will see our infirmity. Maybe something someone we trusted did to us. Maybe something we did after we received Christ. Maybe it's something we struggle with today. And we don't want people to know that we carry that inside. Our mate might not even know. Do you know that I've been married 51 years? And do you know in the last 10 years there would be things I would share with my wife that it took me 40 years to get enough courage, Leela, to share with her. Because I was wounded. I didn't want anybody to know. And so often times we do that. We're like Mephibosheth. And yet, turn with me to Luke, would you, for a minute? I'm going to share with you something. Luke chapter 4. And yet, we don't have to. Jesus is in the temple. It's the Sabbath and they give him the they give him the scroll to read. You know, I understand Mephibosheth. You know why there wasn't any sacrificial lamb who had come on the scene and taken away that that laziness. And I don't mean this to sound wrong, but I, I wonder, and I don't want to see hands, I wonder how many of us would be honest and say, yeah, boy, that's me. Whew. I don't I don't want to get involved in the body. I don't I don't I'll praise a little bit, but I don't want people to see that I've got a lameness here. They give Jesus the, the um, scroll. And this is what he reads in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There's an infirmity, the broken heart. It might be because of something you've done or something someone you trusted did to you. It may not have even been your fault. Jesus said, I can heal it. To proclaim a liberty to the captives. 
Do you know how freedom it was to just be set free from that infirmity? Maybe of something in my past or in yours. Do you know what it's like when you just all of a sudden give it to the Lord and say, you know what? I've held into this long enough and you've come to heal. You've come to heal me. The Bible says Jesus healed all that came to him. All. Oh. And you know what? There have been times in my life as a Christian, we're not talking about some major gigantic sin or anything like that, but just a crippling held captive by something. And when I've gone to the Lord and just said, you know what, God? Boy, I'm lame. I need to be set free. I could breathe again. I could breathe again. And there was freedom like I had never known before. And Jesus said, I've been sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are pressed. And let me tell you something. If you've got something in your life that keeps you from thinking that you are in fact the righteousness of God in Christ, or that you're not good enough to be a part of the body or to serve the body or that, that God would use you. I got news for you. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Because I got news for you. If anybody, anybody should feel that way, I should. But you know what? I went to the table and I said, God, Jesus, if this is what you did, then I believe it and I receive it. And you know what? I didn't care whether the table cloth was across me or not. You know why? Because God in heaven had set me free. Amen. Amen. Leela, would you come this morning? Would you stand with me? Here's what I'd like to do. As I prayed about this and, and thought about this, I want us to sing that song, I Worship You, Almighty God. And God has a place for you in the body. God has something for you to do. God, and you know what? Yeah, but you don't understand. <laughs> Listen, the blood of Jesus is greater than the tablecloth of that king. And I, if you're comfortable as we sing this song, go ahead and raise your hands. But you know what I'd like you to do this morning? Let Jesus come and minister to you as you sing this song. I worship you, Almighty God. Would you put the words up there for me, please? And just worship the Lord. I believe there's a spirit of freedom here for you this morning. Freedom to something maybe that you've hung on to for years, that the Lord can just release so that you're no longer like Mephibosheth. You're not worried about what's crippled you, what's holding you back, what's, 
weighing you down. Instead, let the Lord set you free. Would you lead us in that, please, this morning? Sing it with me, would you? Almighty God, there is none like you. Let the Lord and Holy Spirit minister to you. If you feel you'd like prayer, come on up. If you feel you'd like prayer, you need prayer, you're welcome to come. You are my righteousness. I worship you, mighty God. There is none like you. Join me in singing it. to us today. Lord, set the captive free. Lord, heal the wounds. Heal the wounds. Lord, heal the wounds. For you are Come in. There is none like you. 